Right, psalm 143, verse 10. This is a psalm of David. We read, Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. Like I said, there are many verses along this whole journey um, to Pennsylvania that the Lord has certainly used to encourage my heart. But I, I would say this is probably at the top of the list when it comes to um, verses that the Lord used uh, to encourage me. Teach me to do thy will. Uh, one of the things that I noticed when I thought upon that, those words was the fact that here was David, a man of God who had a desire to do the will of God. And that tells me first and foremost that the Lord had done a work in his heart. Only true children of God, only believers in the Lord Jesus Christ have a desire to do the will of God. And the reason is because God's given them a new nature. God has given them new desires. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I was just uh, going through a Bible verse with my daughter Betsy the other day. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, if I can get this straight. Uh, it says, Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. And so when you read a verse like this, teach me to do thy will, we're looking into a window into a man's heart with a new nature, a man who now has a desire for the will of God. Before we became Christians before we came to know the Lord. What was the will of, of our lives? It was self, right? It was bent towards doing what we wanted to do and what we wanted to uh, follow and pursue, right? But when we heard the gospel preached and when the gospel came into our hearts and the light of the gospel penetrated our dark, abyss hearts and the Lord spoke to us and we believed in the Lord, we repented of our sins and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, that whole nature of now self went, self-centeredness has changed to Christ-centeredness. And now we have this will bent towards Christ and not towards sin. And thanks be to God, he's still in the business of saving souls. He's still in the business of transforming lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The question we have to ask is, is your life transformed? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have that desire to do the Lord's will, or is it your will, first and foremost? That's something you have to answer before the Lord. But this is so encouraging for the believers, because here's a man who's been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, changed by the Lord himself, with these new desires, these new aspirations, and that is to follow the Lord. Now, the question is, why does David pray this prayer? It's a prayer in verse 10, teach me to do thy will. There is a reason why David prayed this prayer. And the answer is found in verses 3 and 4. Really, if you go back a few verses in Psalm 143, and you read verses 3 and 4, it gives us the reason why he prayed this prayer. For the enemy hath persecuted my soul. He hath smitten my life down to the ground. He hath made me to dwell in darkness as those that have been long dead. Therefore is my spirit overwhelmed within me, my heart within me is desolate. Notice verse 4. My spirit is overwhelmed. Do you ever feel overwhelmed with life? <laughs> you ever feel overwhelmed with uh, 
just life itself. You have family and you have work and you have life itself. And it becomes very overwhelming at times. It becomes at, at, at times even makes us paralyzed, uh, makes us stop and not want to do anything. There's, there's a power in being overwhelmed in this life that is not good. And David admits that there were enemies that had come upon him that had overwhelmed him. There was a sense of stress and pressure upon David in this time in his life. We don't know exactly when this was written, but we know that David is sharing the reason why he prays in verse 10, teach me to do thy will. That is, he was wanting to stay in that spirit of being overwhelmed. He didn't want to be someone who was just succumbed by the stress and pressure of life. He wanted to become one who was able to rise above that stress, rise above that pressure in life. And so what was the answer? It was, the answer was to turn to God and to pray that the Lord would teach him his will. Now, being overwhelmed, being full of stress is something that we all deal with. Some of us deal with it differently than others, right? And we all go through stressful times in our life. I think the best example in the Bible that helps us illustrate this point is in Luke chapter 10. Remember, Martha had Christ over to her house. Martha uh, wanted Christ to uh, be over for some lunch or dinner. It was, it was a meal that she was preparing. And remember this well-familiar verse in Luke chapter 10. Martha was serving a meal for Christ, and Mary was sitting and listening to Christ, teaching, right? And we read um, that Martha didn't like that. Martha didn't like the fact that she was serving and that Martha, and Martha, Martha was uh, serving and Mary was just sitting there listening to the Lord teach. And we read in verse, verses 40 through 42, but Martha was cumbered, there is that word overwhelmed, cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. She ordered the Lord uh, that Mary stop listening to him and start helping her. And what do we learn from this passage? We learn that Martha was preoccupied with serving, but Mary was preoccupied with the master. And there's a big difference between the two. And who was right? Was Mary right or Martha right? The Lord makes it very clear that it was Mary who was right in this context in Luke chapter 10. See, in order for us to serve effectively for Christ, we have to be preoccupied not with our service, not with the serving, but with the master who we serve. And I think that's really the whole point of Luke chapter 10, is that we need to be taught the will of God. We need to be taught from the master himself, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think this beautifully illustrates Luke 10, what David is trying to teach here in Psalm 143.10. In essence, David teaches in Psalm 143.10 what Mary did in Luke 10. Psalm 143 verse 10 uh, is the principle, the, the teaching that is laid out by David. And we read in Luke 10, Mary is actually 
applying that teaching as she sits at the feet of Christ. And what was she listening to? She was listening to the will of God. She was listening to the commandments and the word of God from the mouth and the voice of the Lord. So we see here uh, the importance of this verse uh, in verse 10. Teach me to do thy will. So what I want to do for the remaining time, and I like to try to apply this message to how this verse has affected my life in the last few months uh, in my move, and also apply it to salvation as well. Again, it goes not just for me, but it supersedes what my, my experiences are, and it also applies to you as well as you sit and listen to the Word of God. So the question I want to ask is how can I know the will of God in my life? That's a big question. Uh, there are many people who come to pastors and ministers with that question. Young people, old people, middle-aged people. Uh, and they ask the, the minister or they ask their friends or their family, Lord, how can I know, pastor, or how can I know, brother, the will of God in my life? And I believe David gives us four wonderful truths, four beliefs, four principles that we can learn in terms of knowing the will of God in our life. And that's what I want to look at. Four principles that the Lord gives us in terms of knowing the will of God in our lives. And the first is seek the Lord in prayer. The first principle is seek the Lord in prayer. Teach me to do thy will. It begins with prayer. It begins with seeking the face of of God in the place of prayer. And this is what David is teaching us. If we want to know the will of God, we have to seek the Lord. We have to uh, come before the throne of grace and pour out our hearts before the Lord and to say, Lord, Lord, teach me your will. Teach me your word. Teach me your ways, Lord. Especially when you feel stressed and overwhelmed with life itself and you must turn to the Lord. It's a good prayer to say. Because this is a prayer that David prayed. And we're all in the same boat that David. Right? We know what stress is. We know what anxiety is. We know what being overwhelmed with. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to let it fester? Are we going to allow, allow it to spread? Or are we going to do what David does? And that is seek the Lord in the place of prayer. Pray before the Lord for that instruction and for that teaching from the Lord himself. There's an interesting verse that I thought of this week as I was going through the scripture. Uh, I never really saw it before, but Psalm 99, verse 6. Psalm 99, verse 6. Listen to this verse in relation to seeking the Lord in prayer. Moses and Aaron among his priests and Samuel among them that call upon his name. They called upon the Lord and he answered them. Interesting that the psalmist mentions three biblical people in this verse Moses Aaron and Samuel and what are they known for in this verse they were people who called upon the name of the Lord and the Lord answered them it's interesting I thought Samuel was interesting he was mentioned with Moses and Aaron uh, Samuel is considered certainly a man who called upon the name of the Lord but you remember his mother was also known for her godliness and for her prayers remember in first Samuel chapter 1 it was Hannah who prayed for Samuel before he was born, right? And she was a dear godly woman, and she prayed that the Lord might bless her womb with a child, right? She was barren, and that was one of the, 
difficult things for a woman at that time, and it is today too, uh, of not being able to bear children. And she bore and she prayed unto the Lord. She sought the Lord uh, and called upon the name of the Lord. So perhaps she had a much influence on Samuel's life and in his prayer life. You can see how uh, not only uh, are mentioned Moses, Aaron, and, and Samuel, but you could probably add Hannah in that group too. Uh, but here are three people uh, that are listed or called out uh, from the Bible who were specifically recognized as people who called upon the name of the Lord, who sought the Lord in prayer. The question is, when was the last time you called upon the name of the Lord? When was the last time? I'm not saying going to a prayer meeting, not saying praying with other people, but when you got alone by yourself where there was nobody there, the TV was off, the computer was shut down, and you in just empty space, and you called upon the name of the Lord. One of the things that I've really enjoyed, I've missed my family very much, obviously, uh, but one of the things I've really been blessed and enjoyed is when I've been able to seek the Lord in prayer. Uh, I've been able to call upon the name of the Lord, and the Lord has, has come and met with my heart and encouraged my soul and and it's been a lot of uh, quiet times. And uh, what am I going to do with my time? What am I going to do with that quietness? You have a choice. You have a choice. A lot of people turn on the TV. A lot of people watch movies. A lot of people will go through the computer and spend hours and hours and hours on their phone. And that's your choice. Nobody made you do it. Nobody made you do it. It's your choice. One of the things that I've enjoyed uh, is seeking the Lord in the quietness of my home. I have a bed and a chair left in that big house. <laughs> and so it gives me a time uh, to uh, have solitude and sanctuary and to seek the Lord. And it's been a wonderful time. It's been a blessed time. And I'm in good company because Moses and Aaron and Samuel were those who sought the Lord. Now, I know it's harder sometimes when you have people around to be disciplined enough to get away from all the crowd and from the people and to get along with the Lord. For me, it's pretty easy. I go into the house, so no, no dog, no cats, no, no wife, no kids right now. So you, I've got it easy. Well, still, you've got to do it, and you still want to do it. And that's the desire uh, that we need to have when it comes to discerning the will of God and to know the will of God is we need to seek the Lord in prayer. One of my favorite verses through this whole process has been Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3. It's been a verse that we've prayed much over and mentioned much uh, in our conversations. Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And I'll just give you a testimony in terms of our move to Pennsylvania uh, that the Lord has burdened me to call upon the name of the Lord, and he has done things which... Certainly, when I look back, have been truly uh, wonderful and amazing in his, in his treatment and his dealings with me. Um, even outside the parking lot um, of the church, the day we were leaving to move to Pennsylvania, uh, Jeff was out there and I was out there and my son were out there. and We were trying to figure out how to put our Jeep on the, the hauler of the, uh, the moving truck. We had a big moving truck. And then we had a hauler on back of the moving truck, and we were going to haul a Jeep, uh, a, uh, 
one of those SUV Jeeps on the hauler. Well, for the longest time, we couldn't figure out how these straps attached to the, to the Jeep. And so we're thinking, Lord, what do we do? I was saying, Lord, I need, I need help. We need, we need instruction. And it was Zachary who figured it out. We were putting the, the straps on the front of the tire. They were supposed to go on, on the, the back of the tire on the front of the, of the Jeep. Finally figured it out after 35, 45 minutes of, of talking it out. But those little things, you know, I'm thinking, boy, that's all we need is to be going down the highway and have that Jeep fall off and uh, make a mess uh, on the highway. And yet those are just the little things that the Lord, when we felt completely helpless and hopeless at the time, uh, little things like that brought along the right person to help us figure things out, troubleshoot. And we did get the Jeep there in one piece. I got there in one piece. Our, uh, our living uh, possessions all got there in one piece. And that was another thing. Uh, I'm not used to driving a big moving truck and a hauler on back of the moving truck. And that's daunting and intimidating uh, to think about. Uh, and, and yet the Lord provided. He gave me grace. And I forgot, I was telling Jeff earlier, I forgot how uh, hilly and how many mountains there are from here to Pennsylvania. No problem in a car, but in a truck with a hauler. You start to get a little skittish. I'm always looking back behind me, making sure that Jeep's still there, <laughs> you know, and, and going near the, the guardrail to make sure I'm not off the hill. Uh, you know, and, and that was, a, a, I think it was a 16-hour drive it took me to get from here to um, Pennsylvania. And I was tempted to stop, and I said, no, I just gotta get, I just got to get through it. And I had Molly next to me, and she was talking to me, and we were... I'm having conversation and so she was helpful to, to get me there but those things those little practical things are such a blessing when it comes to answer to prayer I know you prayed for me you prayed for traveling mercies you prayed for my job you prayed for other things and the Lord is Lord has been gracious and merciful uh, to answer prayer another thing I want to share with you too and related to prayer is that um, I obviously back in Indianapolis I, I flew back to Indy, Indy on a Monday, well, I was supposed to fly back on a Monday, and my closing was on Tuesday. And so I got to the airport, and um, it was delayed 35 minutes, and I thought, oh, no, here we go. And then it delayed another 35 minutes, and then the ominous news came that it was canceled, my flight. Well, I rushed up to the desk and told them, I have a closing on a house tomorrow. I have to be in Indianapolis at 2 o'clock um, to close on this house. And so I had this associate. He was, was very good. He, he was going through all the different scenarios. You know how they are. I don't know if you've ever had a, a situation like that. And you have someone trying to look at all the different connecting flights so that they can get you to this point, to this point. And he was doing that for 45 minutes of an hour. It didn't look good. I was telling my wife, uh, this, isn't, this isn't good. And finally, there was one seat left on one flight that flew me from Harrisburg to Charlotte to Indy that would get me uh, to Indy at around 1.15 Tuesday. My closing was at 2 o'clock. And so I called good old John Bannister, my, my good brother, about the situation. He was supposed to pick me up Monday night, midnight, at the airport. I told him the, the flight was canceled. 
and uh, he told me, well, just keep me kind of in the loop. Let me know. And I told him the situation. He took some uh, the hours off from work to meet me at the airport at 1.15 and to go to me, go with me to the closing at 2 o'clock. And he sat with me at the closing. <laughs> John was with me at the closing of my house. And um, he, uh, and that's, again, how the Lord does things. You know, it's not the conventional way. It's not my way. I thought, I didn't even give it a thought. Maybe your flight would be canceled. You get to the airport, you get on your flight, and you go, right? It doesn't happen these days. And so, um, again, that's another example of how the Lord answered prayer. And it wasn't, it wasn't my way. It wasn't my plan. But the Lord intervened, and he, he, he figured it out. And John and I, this is kind of a funny story. John and I got to the title company at around 2 o'clock. We go into the elevator. These people come into the elevator, and I happened to say, are you here to buy a house? And they looked at me like I was some weirdo. And he says, yes, we are. We're here to buy a house. And I said, are you going to buy 7932 Palmero Circle? And they said, yes, well, I'm the seller. And... Uh, so we got there at the same exact time as the buyers. And we got there uh, not one minute late. If I got here on time, I probably would have been late. Something might have happened with my car if everything worked out. But for the Lord's timing, it was perfect. I got there exactly at the same time that the buyers at the same moment. And we sat down and the rest is history. Uh, but it was certainly a trying time. But when you look back and see how the Lord provided each step of the way, the Lord is faithful. Um, so it's, it's certainly a blessing. You think of that verse in Philippians chapter 3, verse 19. It talks about our God uh, will meet all your needs according to his riches uh, in glory by Christ Jesus. And he certainly has done that. And we certainly are encouraged regarding that. So the first thing we know in terms of seeking the Lord is in seeking the will of God is to seek the Lord in prayer. The second thing from the text is to trust the Lord completely. Trust the Lord completely. Just teach me to do thy will for thou art my God. Notice for thou art my God. That's a affirmation of faith, of trust in the Lord. And this is a wholehearted affirmation from David. His trust was not in uh, his, his might or in his military strategy or uh, in friends, but his faith was completely in the Lord. And when we want to discover the will of God in our lives, we have to put our faith in the Lord. We have to put our trust in him. Um, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on, on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. So when we know the Lord, when he is uh, the object of our faith, uh, he, will discern, he will disclose to us his will. He will let us know what he has for us in the days ahead. And that's repeated over and over again. But there's a, probably the book that talks about this in a, in a way that really has blessed my own heart in terms of trusting the Lord completely is Hebrews chapter 11, the famous faith chapter Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then, almost like, as if this is a definition of it, um, the writer of Hebrews goes on in verses 6 to say, But without faith, it's impossible to, to please him. 
For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And so when we want to know the will of God, it's not something that we can just figure out like some math problem. That if I can add this and add that, this equals the will of God. It doesn't work that way. God will reveal his will when he's ready. And without God revealing his will to us, we are completely left in the dark. We will have no idea what the will of God is unless God reveals his will and his truth to us. And that was one of the things with this whole process in Pennsylvania was that this is something that the Lord was revealing, not just last week or two weeks ago. This has been something that the Lord has been revealing us to move to Pennsylvania for the last year. Showing us through the word and through providence and through opening doors and closing doors that this was the time that we are to make this move. Um, our, our, our family members are getting older and they need um, supervision. They need care. And there was at this time with Zachary going to college and with the girls starting their new phase in their education that the Lord uh, was opening this door for us to go to Pennsylvania. And another thing too, which again, I'll share with you and, and Candy probably would be the one that should tell you this, but I'm her husband. I know what happened um, in terms of how the Lord worked in her life. But, uh, you know, Candy has been homeschooling her children ever since they were born. They never went to a public school or a private school. And um, she came to a homeschool curriculum called Classical Conversations. It takes a classical approach to education and uh, one of the things that uh, she has done is poured her heart and her soul into this program, which she firmly believes, very rigorously believes in. And uh, for years, uh, she has uh, been uh, involved with the classical conversation approach. Well, CC has offered parents a master's degree uh, in classical education because they basically said, well, if you do, do all the work, you might as well get a diploma for it. You might as well get a degree for it. So Candy said, yeah, that's a good idea. So I think I'll do that. So she started working towards her master's degree in classical, converse, in classical education. And there was a school back in Pennsylvania where Candy grew up called Twin Valley Bible Chapel or Twin Valley Bible Academy, a Christian school. And for the longest time, they had the same curriculum, and it wasn't classical. It wasn't classical education. It was uh, just a, one of those uh, curriculums that that the schools use. And it, no, no, uh, perhaps uh, it was didn't look like they were going to adopt anything even close to classical education. And lo and behold, they they got a teacher in there, and he became the principal of the school. Now he wants to change everything over to a classical education approach. Completely revamp the whole curriculum and change it to a classical approach. Exactly what Candy's doing. Exactly what she was trained to do. Exactly what she uh, was uh, studied uh, is studying to do. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think that's just something that happens all the time. When when you look at a school that's never considered classical education before, and now all of a sudden they they're adopting it and they're implementing it. And they need classical educators. The problem is you can't find classical educators. Well, they found Candy. And Candy told them the situation. And they, um, she, so she's certainly integral part of that ministry uh, to see how the Lord will bless. So, that's, again, that's another example of how uh, the Lord 
uh, when we're faithful to him or we're looking to him, we'll open up doors of service and opportunity. So certainly we rejoice in the Lord for his grace in our lives and pray for Candy. She's got a full plate with going to school and then teaching and uh, raising her kids and um, living uh, with our mother-in-law. And like I said, she's a gracious woman, but we don't want to outstay our welcome. We want to be thankful and grateful, but also realize that uh, there is an end to this. Eventually we're going to find a house. And so just pray for the Lord to give us the right attitude and the right spirit and the right, um, uh, the right type of frame of mind when it comes to living uh, in Pennsylvania for this time being. So trust the Lord completely. That is something that we need in order to discern the will of God. Thirdly, uh, rejoice in the goodness of God. Rejoice in the goodness of God. David does this. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is good. Thy spirit is good. Rejoicing in the goodness of God. We certainly have been rejoicing in the goodness of God in this whole process of moving back to Pennsylvania. I've just mentioned a few things in terms of how the Lord has worked in our lives. But I thought of the verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose, according to his will. So again, for us to make sure that when we are uh, asking to know the will of God, we have to always remember that God is always good. God is always good. Uh, If a a man is in a car accident, he's able to walk out of that car accident with just some scratches, and he says, God is good. Yes, he's saying absolutely the truth. God is good. But if you have a family in a car and they're killed in a car accident, does that change the fact that God is good? No, God is still good. Something terrible has happened, but it hasn't changed God. And we know that when we are to discern the will of God, we need to keep that perspective in mind. That Lord does all things well. The Lord does all things good. It may not be favorable circumstances for us. We may go through some difficulties and challenges. But we have to remember what David says. Thy spirit is good. I think that's what really Job is saying. And Job, when he goes through all these bad things that happen to him, what does he say? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What is he saying? He's saying the Lord's good. All these bad things have happened to me. All these challenges, all these trials have happened to me. But Job, by faith, is saying that it doesn't change God. God is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is still good. And no matter what happens to us in the days ahead, no matter what kind of physical shape we are in, what kind of financial shape we're in, what kind of life we find ourselves in God is always good and that's what David is telling us when it comes to discerning the will of God we've got to keep that attitude we cannot allow uh, trials to embitter us and to cause us to turn against God and to blame God and say why why have you done this to me God why have you done this why why do I have cancer or why did my child get hurt or why did I lose my job Lord, why that attitude? That's the wrong attitude to have. It's a kind of a natural response, probably from the flesh, to say that. But David says, don't do it. Thy spirit is good, Lord. Thy spirit is good. 
all things work together for good to them who love God. And I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. It doesn't mean that I'm always going to go through good times. I'm going to go through trials. I'm going to go through difficulties. Philippians talks about the fact that uh, we've been called not only to believe, but to suffer for Christ's sake. And like Jeff said, in Philippians, one of the great themes in Philippians is the, re- the joy of the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord in trials and tribulations, knowing that this is what we've been called to, not only to believe, that's the easy part in some ways, right? Trust in the Lord, but then the hard part is suffer for Christ and say in the suffering, the Lord is good. That's grace. That's mercy. And that's the principle that David sets forth here in Psalm 143, verse 10. Rejoice in the goodness of the Lord. Another verse that I thought of, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 and 18. I think this was a verse that some of the children memorized last year for their Bible memory. Uh, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And that's the attitude and the disposition I have to have, and that's the disposition we all have to have in life. No matter if we're moving or we're staying put, we still have to have the same disposition. Rejoice in the goodness of God. And then finally, the fourth one, submit to God's leading is an important part of knowing the will of God. Submit to God's leading. He says, lead me in the land of uprightness. Lead me in the land of uprightness. What's he talking about when he says about the land of uprightness? It's interesting, that phrase. The land of uprightness, as the Hebrew word indicates, is a plain and level land, a straight place, a place of righteousness. It's interesting that in the New Testament, Christ actually borrows this language of David, the land of uprightness, in a message that he was preaching in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, on the straight and narrow way. Uh, He talks about... Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be with go in there in there at, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads unto life, and few there be that find it. The straightness of the pathway to life describes walking in a straight path, a path not crooked, a path that does not deviate from the truth of God's word. It's a, it's a path of truth, a path of righteousness, a path that is pleasing to God. It's not a literal geographical place, but it's a, it's a, it's a frame of mind. It's a, it's a state of heart that we as God's people must have. The straightness of the pathway to life describes walking in a straight path, a path not crooked, a path that does not deviate from the truth of God's word. This describes the pursuit of someone with a true and honest heart a heart in whom there is no guile, a heart set on doing what is upright and good according to the will of God as expressed in the written word of God. So Christ is saying that that straight and narrow way is is really talking about a heart that is desirous to do what is right for the Lord, to do what is true and honoring to the Lord. And this is what David is saying when he talks about leading me in the land of uprightness. David wants to be guided by righteousness, not by wickedness or sin or by the flesh, but by the Lord. And he wants to have a straight path, a path that is created and carved by the Lord himself. The desire to please the Lord, the desire to do what is right. 
in the eyes of the Lord. Maybe not easy. This is not an easy move for us. This is not an easy move for, uh, I mean, mid and mid my fifth, middle of my 50s, and I have three children. I've got uh, a dog and cats and all this stuff to move. It wasn't an easy thing, but it was the right thing. Why? Because the Lord says, I, lead me in the land of uprightness. The Lord has made this path clear. And now for, therefore, it's not an easy path. It's not uh, the, the path that maybe I haven't even chosen to do in some ways. I, I have to be honest. I've had my reluctancy. I've had my hesitancy. I've had my doubts at times. Is this the right thing to do? Is this what God wants me to do? Is this the, 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 the righteous decision to make? And this verse here in Psalm 143, verse 10, is very encouraging to me during this whole time. When it talks about, lead me in the land of righteousness. Lord, make it clear that this is the right thing for me to do uh, based upon your will, based upon your work. Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. That's the most important thing. And that's something that uh, I think Daniel had in mind. When you look at the life of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. That's what it means to be led in the land of uprightness, to do what is right for the Lord, to, to not be corrupt, to not follow after sinful tendencies, but to follow the Lord wholeheartedly in the straight path that the Lord has set forth before you. And I believe that's what we've done. I believe that's what my family has done. We have called upon the Lord to make his way straight and to make his paths clear, and he has. And it's such an encouraging thing and a, and a strengthening thing in my own faith to see how the Lord has undertaken for us already and will undertake for us in the days ahead. And so, again, I can't uh, thank you enough for your prayers for me and my family. It is a very bittersweet time to leave. Uh, we're definitely leaving our comfort zone. Uh, but we're going into uh, the work of the Lord. And like I said in the beginning of the message, uh, we belong to the Catholic Church, the universal church. So though I be in Pennsylvania and you be here in Indianapolis, we're still part of the same work with the same goal in mind. And that is to serve and to glorify Jesus Christ all the days of our life. So just to recap how I can know the will of God in my life, to seek the Lord in prayer, trust the Lord completely, rejoice in God's goodness, and submit to God's leading. Are you doing those things in your life? Are you experiencing those things in your life? It's one thing to hear these things. It's another thing to experience these things in your life. I trust that the Lord will apply these great truths um, to us by his spirit as we meditate upon his word. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you, dear Lord for directing our paths and teaching us what your will is. We know, Lord, that each person uh, here who's a Christian uh, has a certain purpose for you, Lord, in your kingdom. And we pray that uh, you will continue to encourage them in their call to serve you, Lord, and to glorify you. We know, Lord, thy word is given to us to encourage us, even this a little verse here tucked away in Psalm 143 that David says, Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God, thy spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. 
has been a tremendous blessing to my own heart, and I trust will also be a blessing to God's people as they listen to it. And we pray, Lord, that if there's someone here today that doesn't have that desire uh, to do the will of God, that they're still in their selfish ways, they're still dominated by their self-will, we pray today you will do a work of grace in their hearts, Lord. Take away that self-centeredness and replace it with Christ-centeredness that they might have a will to serve the Lord and to glorify him. So, Lord, we thank you for this time now. We pray you will bless this congregation. We thank you for the people of God here. We thank you, Lord, that uh, the faithfulness of your people. And we know, Lord, their desire is to see this work grow. We pray that you might blow upon this congregation, Lord. Bring in visitors. uh, Revive thy people and save sinners. And I pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.